Hey everyone, I'm your guest host, Dean Alioto. Today we are being visited, sorry, I have to go there, um, by someone who's no stranger to podcast UFO listeners, UFO researcher Alejandro Rojas. Uh, Alejandro has been a voice of reason in the enigmatic field of UFOs, operating somewhere between UFO advocate and that guy who tells kids that there's no Santa Claus because the evidence just is too flawed. Alejandro is also the head of research and content at Enigma Labs, which is uh, he's building a repository for cataloging, scoring, and crowdsourcing UFO incidences, as well as exposing hoaxes. Uh, he's also the consulting producer on my upcoming docu-series, and today he's going to give us the exciting highlights from the just-completed International UFO Congress Convention. Also, this week, don't forget to check out Charles Lear's blog, uh, which will be behind the scenes of UFO cover-ups. But before we begin and pull out Mr. Rojas, there's someone special who I know Dave Altman's going to be very excited about, uh, who'd like to say hi. Back with a stronger heart, your hostess with the mostest, ladies and gentlemen, and all pronouns in between, we bring you Martin Willis 2.0. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I'm all rebuilt and um, I'm really feeling good, you know, but I, I got to tell you, as my friend Phil says, I um, can no longer be a shirtless model. Ah, so it was kind of slow anyway. So, you know, a door but, closes, a window opens. That's right. <laughs> no, uh, I do want to say to everyone out there, the outpouring that I've had, the hundreds of emails I've had from people and the messages in all different ways. Thank you so much for your kind words of uh, I, I think you really helped me through everyone um, because um, I I don't know. I, I, I mean, I improved so quickly after the surgery. And we'll say next week, I'm going to be on with um, with you and uh, John Burroughs. I'm, I'm not cognitive 100%, but I'm I'm really getting there quickly and uh, in, in every which way. So um, it's been it's been quite a journey. And I I uh, hope no one has to go through what I did. Um, that's listening. You're talking about the heart surgery or are you talking about having to listen to me for three weeks? Uh, yeah, that was the worst part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, brother, and I also want to say, yeah. I also want to say thank you, Dean. Um, I had thought about, um, you know, I, I never skip a week. And when I had to get rushed to the hospital and all that, um, I posted, I'm sorry, no show this week without any reason why. And then I thought, well, what, I'm, what am I going to do? It's going to be at least a month before I come back. Should I just have no shows? And then um, I thought, uh, I thought of Alejandro and you both at the same time. But Alejandro, I know, had the UFO Congress coming up. And then you have been such a great friend these last number of years that um, I reached out to you and you said, sure. And uh, what a guy you are. Thank you so much. That's that's the aliens right there saying they agree 100 <laughs> um, percent. I uh, I really appreciate um, the opportunity. And also your listeners are phenomenal. And I know a good chunk of them. So that's just been, you know, fantastic to uh, to be an extension of you, Martin, in any way I can. And um, so I'm just really, really happy to see you looking so great. Look, like Thank your you. cheeks look even rosy. Well, that was makeup. But, you oh, know, was it? Okay. yeah, I, I was in makeup for a little while before. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm going to be back next week. Dean and I are going to do the show together and then I'm going to baby step my way back to doing. Uh, so with John Burroughs next week and uh, James Fox the week after I'll be on my own then. Hopefully the training wheels will be off. But anyway, 
All right. You have a great show tonight with Alejandro. Thank you, brother. Be All well. Right. Talk soon. Okay. Take care. Thank you. All right. So here we go. Here is Alejandro. Hey, it's me. <laughs> good. I'm glad it's not someone else. <laughs> How are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. Always. It's great to see Martin because, uh, you know, if, if he really had, uh, if it had been worse, there would have been kind of a string of heart attacks. I definitely, when I got that text that he was headed to the hospital, had my own heart palpitations. Um, it was, it was a scary moment. Thank God that he's doing, doing so well. Yeah. Well, um, you guys have always been an awesome, uh, tag team with this as well. And so, um, I, I, I kind of feel like um, it's a community that, that came together and rallied behind him. And, uh, you know, 10 years is a long time, and you've been at this a long time as well. So, um, yeah, we're here we are. We are back. Here we are. Now, you did forget one of my titles because I've got so many. But I got to add this one just because I'm so proud of it and the team, but also a board member and the director of PR for the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. I did organization also known as the SCU. Now you did have to fit in a couple witty uh, jokes there. And I, I really appreciate them. They're very funny. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I was going to talk about that, but first I want to kind of, I guess, just dive right into you're fresh from finishing mm -hmm. this year's um, international UFO Congress convention. What's unique about this one is that you'd been shut down for two years? Yeah. And this, just online. The last one was 2019. So this is your first in-person. So let's start off with that. What was that like? It was great. It was much smaller because, uh, you know, Karen, who owns the conference, wanted to do a 2022 conference. But, you know, COVID wasn't over. Uh, you know, many will argue we're still not out of the woods. But um, so it was on hold. Uh, it was kind of last minute. So she kind of had to put together things very quickly. And uh, luckily she did, which meant for a little bit of a smaller group, but it was kind of nice because it was more intimate, you know, at the SCU, our, our meetings are pretty small. Um, but it's, you know, you have much more of an opportunity to, to mingle with people. And one of the great things that I was skeptical of uh, that Karen did uh, was have a costume party Halloween dance ball. But it turned out to be so much fun. I mean, we danced for hours with James, you know, with Randy Nickerson. Who else? Travis Walton was on the dance floor. Um, Katie Page was out there the whole time. So um, I can't remember, but there were a full dance floor of partying. It was, it was just so much fun. So you have to... Ask James about that when you have him on the show. Um, but it was a I good understand time. he did. But let alone the speakers. Go ahead, sir. Oh, that he did come dressed as one of the men in black, but he forgot his black tie. So he was kind of a casual. That's man right. In black. He <laughs> had the shades on. It was funny because he had the nice suit and the shades, and everybody thought he he was like a rock star or maybe like a Hollywood guy or James all Bond. Nobody was quite sure, or all the above. No one was quite sure what he was going with. Uh, I think the last thing people thought was men in black because he's uh, always got that huge smile and he looks too friendly to be a, a, a man in black. So, but uh, he was looking good. That's for sure. So what were some of the, uh, 
Well, just just walk me through what it was like to to walk into the the because um, you're in Arizona, which which um, uh, location you're at now? Was it the same one that I went to in 2019? No, it was a different uh, venue. It was a different hotel with a lake, so it was really uh, you know in a park. So it was really nice. The hotel is short staffed, so they didn't have. Um, food and luckily there were some local food trucks who we kind of said hey you know we've got a lot of people at this conference if you want to you know make sure you're over there during lunch and dinner and they did so it was kind of a food truck conference as well which is actually a lot of fun because everybody loves food trucks so nice uh and they had great food so that made it kind of different and fun um you know and and it added to kind of that intimacy and you know what's great about a smaller venue is you just you spend a lot more time with the speakers. You know, you're amongst them. Uh, you don't have to scramble to get to talk to them. Uh, you know, so you really get to have a lot more conversation and interaction with the speakers. And uh, so so that's a lot of fun. Um, but otherwise, you know, the speakers we had were excellent. There were a lot of great talks. Um, Micah Hanks, Dr. M- Dr. Michael Masters, Katie Page, like I talked about earlier, John Ramirez, uh, who I didn't know. Most of these people I've known for years. Uh, John Ramirez, who, you know, is kind of new to seeing former CIA uh, official. He broke down kind of uh, all the different government agencies that are involved and kind of helps people understand the legislation um, that's coming up and what agencies will be involved and how. Um, so that was very educational and interesting. We were very lucky to have him. Um, and the combination with him and Brian Bender, you know, a senior national correspondent um, for Politico, someone who's also very plugged in to D.C., uh, military and the lawmaker side, uh, or as John Ramirez put it, the executive um, and the um, uh, congressional uh, branches, Uh it was very helpful uh, to really get a lot of insight. I think that you can't get anywhere else other than maybe podcasts like this um, into what's going on right now. And there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of, it's very complicated. And I think people like to boil it down to this is drip disclosure. And um, I think that that this word that gets thrown out there, but uh, you know, And it's an idea that, you know, like there's some kind of secret cabal in an office that's planning all of this. And really, if you look at the details and actually do the research and break it down, that's not what's going on at all. And the reason that I really like to focus on what's really going on is because there's a lot of people that are involved with what's going on. And it um, kind of undermines the importance of the work that people like uh, Chris Mellon, or Luis Elizondo, uh, Luis Elizondo, of course, being the guy who ran the Pentagon program, and Chris Mellon being someone who's worked in government in, and intelligence, even for you know the House Committee, um, and has worked on Black Project or at least oversight of Black Projects. You know, it undermines the the important work that they did to really get us to this point of openness. Yeah, well, um, it's it's interesting because as opposed to even when I went there the first time, which was 2018, there's this, this feeling of kind of legitimacy that, that was just starting because literally the festival was, was around uh, February when I went to the convention. And that was, you know, 
just a short three months after 2017, but it hadn't really reverberated. It had kind of built and, and became the juggernaut that it was later on. But um, in 2019, a year later, I felt again, I felt like, wow, this is now kind of, um, you know, I felt like people were throwing their shoulders back a little bit more, like we're feeling a little more proud, you know, that, that we've been at this for a while. And, and yes, this is now legit. What we've been telling you all along may actually be kind of true. And so when you're in that situation, you have people that are coming out like John Ramirez. Uh, that's someone that I really want to talk to. Um, and, and I want to hear how his was there. But um, did you get a sense of, of that? Can you, do you feel like you're, you're, you can see how it's charted, how the people have changed or the guest speakers or the new people coming in since uh, 2017? And, and Yeah, I mean, John Ramirez and, and Brian Bender are two examples of people that have gotten involved since 2017. Um, and to your point, it brings an air of credibility uh, and uh, the not just credibility, but I mean, both of these individuals have full on tackled this topic uh, and tried to understand kind of how it, it's operating, how, you know, it's disseminating um, through the government and how they are reacting. Um, because I think that's very interesting. And they're, they're both feeling unencumbered, you know, by stigma to do that, um, which is really important, I think. No doubt, you know, Brian was able to talk about at first how, how kind of strange it was and how he was kind of pushing the envelope at Politico by continuing to cover this topic. But it was in his wheelhouse. It was legit because, you know, he was covering what Congress people were saying, um, you know, and their, their briefings and that they were getting these briefings and their reactions to the briefings. Um, and then John, you know, coming in kind of as a retiree, kind of feeling more done and explaining everything that's going on. So, uh, or at least from his perspective, um, you know, we didn't have before. So it, it's really interesting. And, you know, what's important of the, about this is that we do have um, government agencies getting involved, uh, really, including NASA. And right now kind of in a um, analysis mode, they're trying to understand the landscape you know, how they'll get involved and what they'll do and how they'll analyze things. And there's so many difficult aspects to it. Um, and, you know, to speak to that, and one of the things John talked about is this kind of evolution of groups. So, you know, we had from OSAP to, and I'm going to just go through these, this alphabet soup without explaining them, if that's okay, uh, at first, sure. just because to show how there's many of them from OSAP to ATIP, to the UAP task force or UAPTF, and then to uh, kind of what has been referred to as AIMSOG, which had its own couple of acronyms, uh, a new one that was introduced in the congressional hearings a few months ago. And then, of course, now we're at this new acronym, AROW, and we're seeing in the legislation other names and titles and perhaps even other acronyms will pop out. So really it demonstrates, I think, uh, how, uh, you know, there's so much activity going on. Like, how do we handle this? What do we do? Where do we put this group? Um, where does it fit? And I think what people don't realize is, you know, that this is a sensitive topic for the military in that they, uh, there's got to be some amount of secrecy. Uh, for example, let's say you're a guy, you know, uh, 
an unidentified as spotted, let's say the Nimitz case, uh, an unidentified as spotted, you don't know what it is, you don't know uh, how it's being propelled, um, you don't know whose it is, if it demonstrates a technology that has some sort of intelligence behind it. Um, you know, your first assumption needs to be it's an adversary, a human adversary. So you need to do the research and the work to figure out if that's the case. And if it is the case, how do we get one? How do we back engineer it from what we've seen? And then once you get to the point, and this is the hard part, where and how do you get to the point to say that that's not human? Um, and you're going to want to be 1,000% sure that that is not Chinese or Russian before you say it's not Chinese or Russian because there's whole this whole counterintelligence world. And that's why this is fitting into the intelligence arena right now because, you know, we, if, let's say we did find out it's Chinese, we don't want to tell the Chinese that we've spotted one of their devices and we're figuring out what it is, you know. We Alejandro, that, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm going to pause you. We're, we've been having a little bit of mic issues and you're getting pixelated uh -huh. um and so as soon as i say that you start to look a little bit better but we might have to have you um call back in because it's not just your mic it's the image and everything um okay go ahead and try it now hello there you go okay we're working now otherwise okay. we may need to get you closer to the router yeah yeah we're good. okay sorry go ahead you were talking about uh, uh the, the yeah i've got full bars here Okay. Full so bars, weird. baby. Yeah. But right yeah. Uh, so yeah. So um, where was I? So yeah, you know, even if we do know it's Chinese or Russian, we don't want them to say that. So um, so there's just, there's a lot of nuance, a lot of difficulty there. That's why I think, you know, it, it becomes difficult for the military to share a lot of detail and figure out what to share. But the benefit of what's going on and where I think we really need to pay attention is the science. That's what's so exciting about SCU and NASA getting involved is that science by its nature is transparent, whatever the conspiracy theorists may feel. Um, you know, science doesn't work without transparency. When you write a paper, and I think this goes, uh, you know, back to the Ukraine or even some of the OSAP material, when you are making an argument, a scientific argument that, you know, this metal is unusual or that we're spotting UFOs, um, you write a paper that makes the strongest scientific argument. Then you release that paper and it gets, get, gets scrutinized by your peers. That's how it works. So when Avi Loeb is scrutinizing the Ukrainian paper, that's his job. That's what he's supposed to do. That's how science works. That's his duty as a scientist. Um, and, you know, what we're watching there is science doing its work. And, and you know, maybe this is a good precursor because in the future, there's going to be continuous, continue to be UAP papers written. And, of course, you're going to have a lot of uh, enthusiasts saying, hey, that's definitely a UFO. Um, but, uh, you know, why are these scientists saying it's not? Well, you got to read the paper and look at the details and see what they're arguing. And, you know, that's how science works. And that's where we're really going to, I think, make exciting um, discoveries. Because as that process goes on, there will be those cases that will be more difficult to explain. And that's when we'll have a consensus that, hey, guys, this really is a weird case. We really don't know what this one is. 
Um, and then you're going to be, you know, that establishes a scientific, um, you know, um, well, they call it like a theory or a theorem, but that establishes that uh, we've got a genuine mystery on our hands. Yeah. Some of the things that that I keep coming back to again and again is um, like as an example, Randy Nickerson's on a punk podcast and there's this guy who is a scientist on it and he talks about you know, Dave Fravor and, and, and these other pilots that have seen these, um, these crafts craft. And he says, the scientist said, um, you know, these guys, meaning Fravor and pilots, you know, they're not scientists, so they don't really know what they're saying. And my question, if I'd been there would have been, are you uh, a pilot, Mr. Scientist, or you're not a pilot? So you've never been up there and you, you don't know the difference between 250 yards and, you know, mm-hmm. 2.5 miles. So it's, it's kind of like some people are trying to take ownership of this. Like, like as Neil deGrasse Tyson, he seems to project when these things are real, I'll let you know. Until mm-hmm. then, just assume that, you know, these are just unique little sightings, people. There's so much stuff we don't know about the universe, blah, blah, blah. And everything else gets thrown in. Um, and so... I feel like when we're talking about a government like the USA power government that says it isn't us and it isn't our adversaries and it's not our allies. That's a clear statement. That is like a conscious decision to do it. That's not something that, that as you know, is thrown out lightly. Mm-hmm. And so the conspiracy theorists may, you know, pull up a bowl of this and chow down and say, well, now that they've figured out how to create technology that flies around like this, it's the perfect you know, moment to say what you're going to be seeing from now on, we are all identifying it as UFO. It has nothing to do with us. Um, so if it's something that's weaponized, if one of these UFOs start to drop something and we see something, you know, where, where they're doing destruction, for me, that, that's when I go, okay, now we might have a, a thread there in the conspiracy theory. But until then, it seems like they're asking for, for help. And, and, you know, more importantly, when I look at these people that are testifying everything, I'm going, okay, that was last June. And maybe you can answer this. Last June, we had the hearing, the U.S. Congress hearing. So since the ridicule factor, which was mentioned four times, has been removed, where are we now? Are we seeing any more footage coming from our servicemen and servicewomen that we didn't see before because of the ridicule factor? And how is that going up? Because I would still think that would be filtered through the government, through the, you know, their superiors. Mm-hmm. So uh, as far as video, and that's kind of what I mean too, uh, with the secrecy factor. So John Greenwald, you know, has sent some uh, Freedom of Information Act uh, work lately where he got the Navy to admit we do have 22 other UAP videos. However, we're not releasing them. You're never going to see them was kind of the message that he got. Um, will we never see them? Who knows? It would take, uh, Congress can certainly say, show that to the public, but you know, what happens like in the, the last hearings under the classified or the secret, you know, closed door section of the hearings is the military saying, look, we've got these videos. Here's why we can't show these to the public. And, you know, and then it's up to the Congress people to decide, uh, whether they're going to take that expert, um, opinions of the people, uh, giving them information or, you know, uh, work towards sharing information with the public. Now, what's interesting is even Chris Mellon, who I mentioned earlier, had 
earlier said, Congress, you really need to tackle this, albeit it's classified information and it'll probably have to be behind closed doors. And then, you know, people like Gillibrand came forward and said, no, uh, we will have them look at it, but we want a public facing portion of this as well. And so they asked for the report. Uh, another report supposed to come in the next couple of weeks. We'll see what happens. Um, so they've, they've kind of had to say, no, we want to share stuff publicly. So we may see or may not see those videos, but um, it, it will kind of be a struggle there. Um, on that end, I guess to answer the question there. Um, yeah, I think that answers your question, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm always <clears throat> wondering... What is that footage that they can't show us? Does it include yeah. a radar system in the foreground, you mm -hmm. know, in the shot because it's video? What is it? Because even today, even today, we still do not have the underneath the craft rivets and all yeah. photo or mm -hmm. video. So for yeah. me, I look at that and I go, well, the only people that would probably have that who are flying around the airspace a hell of a lot and do have high end technology to monitor this is our government. But beyond exactly. that, I, I, I really kind of not not to to say, well, it's just this, but I do wonder how much of this. My feeling is that the agenda has always been probably uh, controlled and always will be by those who are visiting, doing the drive bys. And um, and so it seems like they're controlling the footage. I mean, we don't hear of schoolyards yeah. that are having these mass sightings anymore. And yeah. maybe that's because kids have cell phones. Why is that? I I think you make a really good point. Um, you know, a lot of the skeptics will say, you know, why is the footage so terrible? Why don't we have that data? And um, I would argue that, you know, we don't know about the nature of the phenomena or those controlling it. If there's an intelligence behind it, especially one that is much further beyond us, I would imagine they would also understand the importance of making sure we don't get enough data. That if they don't want to share... Uh, you know, enough data where we can make a conclusion that uh, about them, then they can operate in a manner in which we don't gather that data. And I'm starting to use that term, and I want to get kind of back, get back to your earlier question about data, because that's what it really is all about, gathering that data. And to your point earlier, you said a scientist who said, you know, a pilot's just a pilot. That's going a little far, but he kind of has a little bit of a of a of a argument there in that, you know, what everybody's doing is gathering data. Scientific uh, analysis of that data is different depending on who's looking at it. Scientists will look at the data differently than intelligence will look at it, which will look at it differently than journalists will look at it. With, when you're a scientist, you need scientific data. You need something physical to work with. That's why, you know, people, even though uh, some ufologists get mad, that's why Abby Loeb is like, I'm throwing out everything you guys have done because it's not good enough and I've got to do my own. When it's, there's a scientific perspective, he's exactly right, you know, to your point you made earlier, the government's the only one that has these systems that can really gather all this information that would be necessary for scientists, but that's classified. So scientists don't have access to it. So groups like Abby Loeb or UAPX are looking at how do we use tools that can gather more information. So if you saw that movie Terror in the Sky where those UPX guys have a roof full of different equipment, and that's what you need. So if something flies over, a video is not enough. 
You need IR. You need to scan it with radio. You need to see if it's emitting any radiation. You need to really try to gather as much scientific data about that sighting as possible to make any conclusions or, or figure something out. So that's what our Abby Loeb's doing too. They're using systems that have never been used for this before. Now it's different when you get to intelligence. When uh, the military is looking at this from a uh, military perspective, they're looking at two things. They're looking at how do we exploit these technologies that we're seeing and also how do we what is the nature of them? How do we defend ourselves? So in that arena, the pilot testimony is going to be extremely important, you know, because this is an expert. This is someone who's trained to observe who's and that's that's data that they will be able to use more. And the scientific arena, the, the pilot can give them pointers, say, here's what I saw, uh, and we'll be able to run some numbers, like say, okay, if it did what he said it did, this is the sort of energy it would need. This is sort of, uh, but, you know, he's not a, um, uh, a, a machine that can input and output that data. So there is a limited use that uh, scientists can use for it. But then when it comes to journalism, when you're writing for the general public, you know, then it's a, even more compelling because this expert, this, this pilot, you know, uh, and I think that's where most of us are, is chasing a large tic-tac-shaped object that can outclass his, you know, all of our jet fighters. And really, you know, we'd be screwed if this thing attacked. Um, you know, first of all, military has to assume that could be a threat. Um, people get mad. Oh, the threat narrative. It's such a um, it, it's a lack of understanding of how the military looks at and has to look at this. The military isn't here to look for friends. The military is here for to defend us against foes, you know. Um, so so that's why the military is, is using that threat um, kind of perspective. Um, that's their job to do that. So, you know, it's going to be different across all of those different arenas. Yeah. Um, we have a question. Dr. Richard uh, asks, uh, how did the government become the be all and end all of UFO investigation? Um, and I mean, first blush that I don't I don't think they are. But I think when the government steps in, it, it somehow gets official because now they're recognizing it, even though we've recognized mm -hmm. it for, you know, for se essentially 70 years. Yeah. Plus, what do you, what's your take on that? I would say a couple things. Um, first of all, uh, there's, they have more capability. One of the things that we've had a problem with in this field is a lack of resources. There's very little money um, and there's very little expertise. And those experts that we do have have limited resource and time. They can't do this during their day job. You know, they're doing it on off times. So um, like groups like the SCU, you know, it'll take us a couple of years to write a paper because people are doing this on the weekend or when they can get time here or there, you know, a couple hours a week to work on a paper as opposed to being able to do it all day long. The government has resources. So if they look into this, just like... The government is, you know, what looks into a lot of experimental drugs, cancer drugs, things like this, because it's something that corporate, uh, the corporate world can't do or won't do because there's no profits associated with it. Um, and, you know, that's the, the capitalist world. A corporation is going to get involved unless they can make some money um, from from that arena. So that's why you get the government involved with this kind of research. Who else is going to do it? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say they're the end all, be all, but they're definitely um, 
uh, there's just a lot of people. I would say it's the individuals who decide whether or not the government is the end-all, be-all. And most individuals currently, I think, do look for the government for answers on this. It doesn't have to be that way. And maybe it won't in the future. Maybe organizations like SEU will get more gravitas. So, for example, you know, who if SETI heard a signal and SETI scientists said, this is a genuine extraterrestrial signal from a civilization outside of our own, who are people going to listen to? SETI? Or the government, if the government says, eh, I don't think so. I think SETI is who people are going to listen to. These are the scientists who have been skeptical the entire time. You know, this. I think that's an example. And if we do have an independent organization to come, come out and say, we've confirmed, you know, this is a technology that is beyond our own. Check out these videos and our scientific analysis of that video, like SCU. Hopefully we'll have the gravitas or some organization could have the gravitas outside the organization or government to say, you know, this is real and, and people will listen. Yeah, it's it's something that is kind of like I looked at it as, oh, that's nice that the government endorses <laughs> the existence. We already kind of have a, a pretty clear understanding of, of how the government's involvement has been in the past. Nothing really changed from that statement. Right. Mm -hmm. They the, the, the one thing that they released was I think six frames, something like that, something going by a cockpit really fast. And then the congressman ended up going behind closed doors and, and they might have seen something, uh, you know, that mm -hmm. that is, uh, you know, much more miraculous than that. So I, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it. And again, I, you look at the math. Is this, you know, do we have, uh, you know, more sticks in this pile than we did before? I don't I don't know. I think when I think of any advances that are going to be done, it'll be done by civilians or it'll be done by think tanks like SCU. You have all these great people. But as an example, Randall Nickerson cannot, um, like if, if he wants to put, some, if someone wants to put cameras on their plane and be able to go out themselves, high-tech cameras that you can buy that have infrared, everything else, you can't do that. If mm -hmm. you're going to do that, you have to relicense your plane as a different mm -hmm. type of uh, vehicle and you have to get certain permits and all this stuff. It's a big pain in the ass because they don't want this to fall off your plane and, you know, and, and drop down and hurt someone. Right. But, but there's certain things where, you know, that would be a great, you know, you could certainly put it on a boat if you're looking for, you know, something under the water under underwater submersibles mm -hmm. or at night, which is what SCU is doing. But it's kind of hard for the average, you know, person, UFO researcher, UFO enthusiast who wants to do that. He wants to be out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so as the technology gets better and better, I feel like that's going to that's going to come out. This this is not owned by the government anymore. You know, um, mm -hmm. you know, Holloman and all those other stories, you know, about uh, crafts landing and stuff. Um, I think if, if that were to happen, you know, uh, uh, today, I think that, you know, I think it's susceptible to being captured. But at the same time, it's not. And everyone's got cell phones and stuff. And granted, everyone's looking down like this, right? Mm -hmm. Not looking up. But in your estimation, do you feel like, you know, what SCU and some of the other organizations, do you feel like they're going to be making a, a, a dent here? Or do you feel like the government's going to give us a little bit more and show us some more footage? And, and, and for I what think purpose? that, yeah, I think a couple things. First, uh, I do want to address Dr. Richard. I saw his follow-up. We don't have resources, but haven't we without government? a mass proof, proof of visitation over 70 years? No, I don't think so at all. I think that we've got anecdotal information. I don't think we have proof of that. If we had proof, 
the conversation would be much different. Um, I think there's a couple things. I think that uh, given that the government does have to kind of um, worry about the classification of information, one of the things that they can do is fund science, um, you know, for instance, work together with SCU and, and at NASA is a good start or maybe fund or help give funding to other organizations who are more openly and more transparent kind of looking into this topic. I think that would be a huge help um, that then we don't have to worry about that classified kind of side of things. So uh, that's another thing government can do to help, uh, which is important. Um, so there are things that the government can do to help that we need to ask them to do, which a lot of our Congress people are doing, and, and we need to encourage them to do so. Um, a lot of people, in fact, John Ramirez made the point that it's not the individual congressmen that you want to talk to. It's the actual committees. So sending messages to the committees, um, especially the committees, the armed services committees, um, to let them know. You know, we've got to uh, we need to continue this sort of research to figure this out. Um, I think that does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, so I do want to get back to some of the highlights. Uh, one of the things um, that was really exciting is that Randall Nickerson won the researcher UFO researcher of the year. Um, that's fantastic. And so if you can kind of uh, talk yeah. about yeah, I mean, uh, like I keep saying, those of us who have known Randall Nickerson uh, ha and what he's been up to have been waiting this movie for over a decade. And, you know, no clue what we're going to get, knowing that he's done a lot of work. Now that we've got the movie, if, if people haven't seen Aerial Phenomena, I, for one, I think I talked to you maybe the day after I saw it, I gave you a call to say, wow, you know, I was so impressed by that movie, not just the content of the UFO research or the research done on the case, but also as a filmmaker, um, you know, the, the heart and soul that's in there, it's emotional and you're following, you know, Emily Trim's journey um, as she goes back to, for the first time back to, to at the aerial school, you know, now living in Canada and re-experiences everything and talks to old friends and teachers. Um, it's just an amazing movie. So it's a great amount of UFO research coupled with a unique and creative and emotional and very deep presentation of that material. So that's why I felt, you know, it was Karen's idea. Karen is the one who came up with who should win. And I was like, Heck yeah, you know, just I agreed with her. So, um, and I, I, yeah, absolutely deserving. So beautiful movie. Um, and uh, to have him there, it was funny because we gave him a call. We were, we were at, you know, the award dinner was starting and he wasn't in the room. So Karen gave him a call and said, oh, you're coming to dinner, aren't you? And he said, yeah, when is it? And she said, now. And he said, oh, oh my gosh, let me get down there. So he came down and he made it luckily a few minutes before we uh, gave him the award. And it was one of the shortest acceptance speech because he was just kind of, um, you know, speechless. He didn't know what to say, uh, which was great. So, uh, you know, we're happy to honor him. Uh, we ended the show. Unfortunately, we had a little bit of technical difficulties, but um, it worked out where we actually interviewed um, Karen interviewed via uh, Zoom. Uh, Emily Trim and Lasell. Uh, I'm ho hopefully I'm saying her name right, but she's the Lizel. girl. Uh, Lizel. 
exactly. She's the one who you see in the video so much, that little girl who's talking about the creatures and her drawings and, and the sense that she was getting with them. Um, really, really cute. So it was wonderful to have them there and have their input. And the last, you know, at the end of the interview, they were saying, you know, about how uh, grateful they were for Randy and the film and uh, how great it was to work with him. Um, so, yeah. So we were really happy to uh, do that. Yeah. Um, also, uh, I should mention that I got a chance to see, uh, I, well, I had seen the first cut of uh, James Fox's uh, Moment of Contact and was just going, you know, well, here comes the second shot over the bow <laughs> by Fox. Um, and what was unique about this one is that it's a follow doc, you know, where it's one story and you're following it all the way through. Uh, even though, you know, James had worked on this story years ago, couldn't fit it into the phenomena. And then it became mm -hmm. its own thing. And um, he uh, did one of his premieres at, at uh, the International UFO Congress Convention. I'm curious what the reaction was there. And then I'll tell you what the reaction was last night for the Los Angeles premiere that we had here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, it was great. I think that, um, oh, look, there's some pictures. Oh, wow. Look at that. I wonder where that picture came from. That's great. Anyway. Yeah. I think with uh, the movie, um, I really liked like this follow kind of, you and I have talked about this before and kind of debated the best way to do it or not. And for this movie in particular, I really like following James. Um, he's a very charismatic, you know, person. He's fun. To know James is to love James. So, of course, I think an audience is going to really enjoy following him and his reactions because his reactions are are great. He's uh, he's so friendly and he laughs and his reactions are so genuine. And, you know, you really get it. <laughs> and even at the times where he's frustrated because he's like, wait, you know, we need to talk this to this guy. And they're like, no, it's not going to happen. And hopefully I'm not revealing too much when. You know, there's even a guy, we got to get out of here. They're going to shoot us, you know, type of situation. Some people just didn't want to talk. And uh, and he's like, oh, man, but we got to get in there. Because, you know, he's 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 flown out there and done so much. Uh, but he talked to a lot of people. And, you know, it's, it's a case where it's based off of anecdotal information. Um, so it's a case where you're just like, I don't know, you know, this alleged alien. But there's nothing like talking to the witnesses firsthand. And uh, they're very, very compelling. You know, they, they have emotion around what they saw. Every witness, you know, all the main witnesses that we know of are there or their family to share or end the, or their family to share kind of their experiences. So it's very compelling. I mean, it's one of these they get under my skin. In fact, you know, I do a lecture on strange alien cases where they're good cases. You know, we've got a documentary. I think that's one of the best on, um, if we can call it that. It's mostly interviews with the three witnesses of the Allagash case. Mm -hmm. uh, another one where they they have the claim these weird experiences, but it's just so dang compelling. So um, I, I liked it. I thought it was great. Uh, I think it's the type of movie that's really going to. Um, do well with audiences. Yeah. Um, it was great to see on the big screen uh, as well. They actually moved the screening because uh, in the theater complex, there's 14 theaters in there and they moved it to the, the main theater. 
because cool. there were so many people that showed up and they realized we, we, wow. under, we underestimated. And so um, the funny part was that all of us had our seats and we go to sit down. We're like, wait a second. You're now sitting on the other side of the aisle. I'm here. <laughs> and then it was just, oh, no. all right, everyone just find your seat. And it all mm -hmm. worked out. But um, it, it's, it's interesting because you look at something like this and again, you know, the term smoking gun gets thrown around. I've thrown it around plenty myself. Yeah. The smoking gun ideally is evidence that you can hold up and say, this is not mm -hmm. from here. Here's why yeah. A, B, and C. What, what for, for me, what knocked me on my, on my butt here looking at something like moment of content or uh, of contact is that you have these people that if, if, um, if witness testimony can be considered evidence, then we have evidence of the highest caliber in that mm. film and in Randy's film, Randall's film and, and other films. And so it's kind of like, it feels like we've gone as far as, as we can. And when you see the movie and you see how close mm -hmm. we get to getting to the people that have that truth and stuff. And ultimately it's still, you know, can we get our hands on the video? And so, yeah. Um, yeah. And they mentioned that the producers, you know, you know talk think about that. You make a really good point there. And I think that that's why people feel that this field, people who've been in this field and the, and the longer they stay in this field, feel that it's been stagnant because when it comes to anecdotal information or witness testimony, we've been at that threshold of excellent testimony since the beginning. I mean, Blue Book is chock full of military and lawmakers who chase UFOs. I mean, and these are people who know... We even have Lockheed Skunk Works guys, um, engineers, the top engineers in the 60s seeing UFOs and saying, you know, we know better than the Air Force, which they do in many ways. They're the guys who taught the Air Force guys, some of these professors and things. Um, you know, we've had excellent witness testimony um, for, for decades now, but we haven't had the science. Um, really, after 1969, I would say, you know, if you read books like uh, especially Invisible College or others, there was kind of this, you know what, we're not going to get there with the science. We just don't have the resources. Scientific community doesn't want to do it. And we had this lull for decades where people weren't really pursuing the science so much. Um, now it's a new world. Now it's a new world for many reasons, one of those being that uh, citizen scientists are much more empowered with technology. The technologies that may have taken an entire aircraft, you know, in the past now are in our phone. So we have a lot more resources to do the citizen science. So I think this is a, an arena where we can um, gather stronger and better evidence and will. And I think, you know, what's exciting about this time, and, and this is why I have no... Um, you know, reservations when I'm talking to scientists or government officials or others saying that, you know, we can get more. I have absolutely certainty that we can gather more. These are genuine mysteries that need to be discovered. Even if some of these things that we discover are mundane, like the weather anomaly they got in terror in the sky, it's an area of science that has not been uh, examined where there will be discoveries made and the potential when, especially when you have even the military saying some of these technologies don't see, seem to be human made. The potential for uh, where we could go, of course, is, is extremely exciting. Yeah, it seems like if I were to break it down into three stages, like um, Jalen Hynix 
uh, you know, close encounters, first, second, mm-hmm. third kind. The first one I would say is testimony. Second one would be footage. That would be really compelling. But as we know, and I know as a filmmaker, having done two alien films, uh, those things can be faked. Mm-hmm. So then the third one, which is to me is that smoking gun words, it's tangible evidence where the scientists can have a field day. They can sit down, it's Thanksgiving, and they can just chow on it and, and look at it from all different angles and quantify it, everything. And so it kind of feels like we're ping-ponging back and forth between the witness evidence, if you will, and the, the video evidence with the Tic Tac footage and stuff. Still haven't mm-hmm. gotten there. Officially, I know some people have said, well, this is some meta material and stuff like that. Um, but it, it, it feels like... You it know, hasn't that, been peer reviewed yet. I it mean, has not been. it's in yeah. the early stage. Yeah. So um, I guess my question to you is, you know, do you feel that that maybe mankind, which sounds so stupid, womankind, humankind, let's say humankind. Humankind is humankind, the word I like to use. Yeah. Is um, will they be able to take that in? Where they, you know, what, what, do, what do they need across the board? Because there's a huge amount mm-hmm. of people, you look at the polls and stuff where they say they believe in this and everything. But, but where were you, f- what, what does well, it look like for you? Yeah, that's that an interesting question because, um, and it gets back to the question of some of the comments, you know, the questions we were being asked earlier. We do have proof. We do have evidence. It depends on what your threshold is. Uh, we don't have scientific proof or evidence. Or I shouldn't say that. We do have, I, I would say, some evidence, but not that compiles enough to, to be proof yet. But hopefully we're gathering that, we're working on gathering that, and we'll get there. But for individuals, you know, that varies. And we've seen over the years, of course, with these polls, with the American public, that they're seeing more and more ev- evidence, and they're seeing enough to convince them. And, you know, that's what the politicians are betting on, that they're, hey, more than 50% of the public seems to be convinced this is a thing. So we as your politicians, which is their job, ought to be pushing this and getting this, move this forward, which is what's happening. So the, the public is getting enough. Um, but, uh, you know, that's where it gets into like those arenas that I, I had talked about. When and where was that for a defense? I think that's a big question right now because now we know, and that was one of the things Elizondo and and Mellon were trying to do is push the military into admitting that they take UIP seriously and they have been investigating them. Some things we've known as researchers for a long time, but we, what we don't know is what they've done and what they've gathered and what was it that convinced them and pushed them over to the tipping point. You know, those are some interesting questions. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's a, a variety of different thresholds that all mean different things. Yeah. I, um... I, I'm, I'm looking at the comments here uh, as yeah, we're going, and, and, and a lot, yeah, and a lot of people are saying we do have that evidence. We do. Well, the evidence I'm talking about is evidence of either craft, where we can, you know, see it, whether it's mm-hmm. broken up, whatever, or bodies. And I'm not yeah. saying, well, we do have that evidence that the government has that. What I, I, I'm, I'm not talking about that, whether that's yeah. real or not. I'm talking about being able to go to the Smithsonian. Exactly. <laughs> see on displays on on display. See these these beans, or see this material, yeah. or or see it being studied. When that happens, yeah. then then end the discussion because you know there are the debunkers and the skeptics. Exactly, exactly, and and that's what 
I'm focused on. That's what I'm pushing. What I think is the cutting edge of ufology, because we can talk about evidence. Oh, we've got proof. We can have got evidence. Everybody in the chat could say that if they wanted. That doesn't move the needle. That doesn't get us to the Smithsonian. So what we're focused on at SCU and at Enigma Labs is getting into the Smithsonian, getting that level and working with scientists that work with this this smithsonian to get involved which some are willing to do so um you know that's what i'm focused on right now and we're and what everybody should be excited to hear is that we're making ground there big strides there so you know we're at an incredible time right now where people i think will begin to see this sort of science and see and and this is the route to the smithsonian and i'm confident that we'll we'll be getting there you know, um, we're on the path. So, um, you know, hopefully people that can convince people to uh, support us. Science is slow, but uh, that's where we're moving. But it's a juggernaut because once it crosses that threshold, there's no going back. Yeah, the um, I, I feel like we kind of have to be in the moment with all of this, which is what, you know, we're doing right now. And, and the listeners are doing is they're you know, disseminating the stuff, hopefully, um, whoever they're listening to is, is someone who is, you know, uh, uh viable uh, in Looks a way. Like whoever they're, they're telling you, they got a rap. They got a rap as we, as we get close to, uh, uh <laughs> K, KGRA. Um, and, and so, um, I, I guess before we wrap here, my mm -hmm. question uh, for you is, um, you know, I, I always say, you know, what's down the hole, what's down the hallway, um, uh, mm -hmm. mankind, when will we be ready? You know, for oh for yeah, when will we be ready? I think we're pretty ready, uh, personally. Mm -hmm. And of course, that question does um, uh, depend on what the information that's revealed is. But I think we are uh, uh, close to ready. Um, and you know, I think there's different studies that show that. One of the studies I do this talk called "Religion and UFOs," and one of the studies I love is this one that Ted Peters did, did where he did an inventory on whether uh, the discovery of extraterrestrial life will affect your religious views or your priest religious views or your religious institution. And pretty much they said, it's not going to affect me, may um, affect, you know, Father Johnson. Um, it probably will affect the Vatican or, you know, whatever your religious uh, the religion may be, but it's not going to affect me. And they all had this story that it'll probably affect, you know, if I'm a Catholic, it'll probably affect the Jews and the Buddhists. But, it, you know, uh, the Catholics are going to be fine. And the Buddhists are like, oh, man, the Jews and the Catholics are going to freak out. But we Buddhists will be fine. So everybody had the idea that, you know, everybody else is going to have a problem, but I'm not. So what does that mean? Most people feel they're not going to have a problem when this sort of revelation um comes true so there's a guy i know um franklin carter he used to say you know even if something like that happens you're still gonna have to go to work the next day you're still gonna have to pay your bills we're still gonna need to focus on their everyday lives um but certainly things will be different so um i think that was really interesting so i think that we're now we just need to get there now we need to discover what's going on and for those of you who do believe we are being visited you know this is a sort of work that's going to be needed to get us all there um, and to continue to move us all in that direction. Yeah. It's, it's kind of frustrating because you look at just the past four or five years of what we've gone through 
you know, in America um, alone, a lot of change, a lot of um, upheaval. Um, you know, we're still kind of getting our bearings. And so when I think of like the perfect utopian um, uh, communication, you know, the, the Stanley Kubrick communication that we would have with these beings on a global, you know, scale, I, I wonder, are, are we mature enough? Are we ready for that? And, and to answer that question, I always kind of refer to, you know, what are we going to be doing? You know, when we get to, when we become advanced and we've transcended everything, all of our, you know, pettiness and everything, you know, can we then, you know, communicate? But when I think of them coming here, the only thing that, that I worry about religion with regards to religion is if they come here and they say, oh, there is no God. Or, because yeah. that's going to get asked. Are they going to say, well, you know, and, and well, you know, will religious say, belief will believe that they may say, I don't believe you. Yeah. And then, um, you know, but experiences will say, no, they're they're spiritual beings just like all of us. But unless they're coming here to say, we're going to put you in a whole different program. We have a whole different uh, theory on life, which I don't think that's uh, I don't think that would be their agenda if they you know, even have an agenda. They may not even have an agenda. We always yeah. think they're going to come and either they're going to take everything or they're going to give us technology, which we're going to weaponize. So. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, a lot of scientists use that analogy that we wouldn't, um, we don't bother, you know, we would be like ants to them. So that's why they don't, wouldn't care about us. But we research ants. Let's take that an analogy further. We do care about ants. You know, we do research um, some people even like to keep them as, as, as pets. Yeah, there is such a thing as entomology where people take courses um, and they do research them. We don't give them money. You know, necessarily, we don't like support or try to enhance their uh, environments. We do try to protect. I guess if it came to it, we may try to protect them. Um, but uh, in that example, kind of there is some sort of interaction, just not that deep um, right. of an interaction. And, you know, what's great about scientists getting involved. I love this uh, paper or this talk that Kevin Knuth, um, scientist out of Albany, um, SUNY did uh he's a he's you know he's i'm he's i'm a big fan of kevin knuth he's an astrophysicist and has really tackled this field he's part of scun uapx i love the guy and he does this great talk about time like right now with the technology that we have we can travel build devices that travel at a fraction of the speed of light you know some of them are kind of bigger fractions and the closer we get to the speed of light the bigger the time difference is so if there's a group that leaves at you know three quarters of speed of light there we're never going to see them again because the time's going to be so different when they get back we're going to be gone but he talks about how if you have a, an armada that flies together or even if some leave but they meet do calculations to meet at a certain point and travel at a certain speed, then they won't have those time differences. But if there is a group like this, maybe one would branch off and go visit the earth um, and then go visit somewhere else and come back to them a day. They might come back to visit the earth a day later to them, but to us a thousand years have passed. And if that's the case, why would they interact with us if, you know, when they leave and come back, it's going to be a whole new ball game or a different species or at least certainly yeah. a different civilization? Well, certainly Michael Masters, uh, his whole uh, master, yeah. master's thesis uh, is, is in that, that they are us um, um, from the future. But again, I, I always kind of um, come back to the idea when I, when I hear, to quote 
Jacques Vallée, you know, he's going to be very disappointed if aliens turn out to be nothing but, you know, beings from another planet. Um, I think, yeah, it's probably all the above. But when I think of travel and having to go at the speed of, of light, um, that seems very, that seems like um, it's a combustible engine when, when we should be talking about something that is much more high tech mm. in yeah. the sense that the way that people see these craft and the way they, at aerial school, the way they saw the beans, they seem to be relocating in, in space. So they're here and then they're here and then they're here. But when you stitch yeah. it together, it's like this movement that's happening. And so it yeah. feels like they're able, when I, I remember meeting with uh, Alejandro, or excuse me, not you. Hey, that's me. <laughs> uh, the other, uh, Lou Elizondo. Um, people get at, us uh, mixed up all the time. All the time. Identical. Sometimes I've had people call me Elizondo. Have they? Yeah. So they mix the up hybrid. their names half and half. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember we were talking about that and he was saying how, you know, he was mentioning, as, as we all know, how time gets folded and everything and how you can do that. And I've always had a theory and, and Lou was a, a green um, uh, with it as well, that it doesn't matter what these crafts are made of. That's, that's just a way to hold what is being propelled. You know, it's a way to, to, to hold it. And so mm -hmm. it just feels like until we can get outside of our physics, that's why whenever I think of a really effective think tank has to have sci-fi yeah. writers because mm -hmm. these are the ones that don't adhere to, well, these are the rules. We must use these tools. It's like, no, no, no. We can exactly. do this. We can do that. That's um, what's some... great about sci-fi. Uh, you know, sci-fi is such a great reference for this field because people have done that out of the box thinking. So you have so many very creative scenarios out there, some of which may be right. Oh, look at H.G. Wells. He predicted that yeah. we were going to have rockets that had stages. I, yeah. said, I mean, genius. All right. So we have someone here, mm -hmm. Bo, who uh, thank you, Bo, for the uh, patronage here. And by the way, please uh, um, send, if you will, folks, uh, contribute um, if you like this show. Um, so he says, saw Alejandro on Greenwald. How do you two reconcile differences over Elizondo? I will let you take that For the on. most part, we don't. Um, you know, uh, we have, we disagree about quite a few things there, but, uh, Greenwald and I, just like all of my colleagues, uh, even you and I, not to the same degree, I guess, but we all disagree. Um, and actually our perspectives, yours, mine, and Martin's are pretty close, I think, but, you know, we all disagree on things sometimes largely. I mean, I'm not really into ancient aliens, even though I was actually interviewing for the show once again uh, for the third time in two months, I think. Um, I think last time I visited you and, and yeah. Allie when I, when I was on there. But, um, you know, I, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff on the show. And I tell the producers that when they do the interview. Um, I'm really good friends with... Um, um, uh, I'm good friends with several people on that show who talk about the ancient aliens theories. Mm -hmm. um, and, but they're still friends of mine. You know, it's okay to disagree and become friends. Now, those two, of course, do not get along currently. Um, and they really get under their, each other's skin. And it's kind of funny because this guy referenced my last appearance on Greenwald. And I, I you know, I would agree with Greenwald and, and I'd have a little criticism of Lou in that, um, Greenwald has some points in that, you know, it's fair for him to ask for clarif question, clarification on questions that aren't clarified. 
Sure. It's completely fair for him to do that. Um, and, you know, I think Elizondo has reacted at times, you know, him, him and or some of his colleagues kind of attacking people on UFO Twitter. Um, and I don't think that's wise. And the reason I laugh is because I preach this. Don't let people get under your skin. And then on Greenwald, you know, it like for the guy who saw it and anybody else, there was a question that was asked that really got under my skin. And I even got a little embarrassed and, and apologized because I had a, a big reaction. So we're all prone to that. You know, it's difficult on in, in social media these days because uh, we've got stars who are dropping, coming on and off of social media all the time. Some of them feeling depressed. Some of them even contemplating suicide or committing suicide over what goes on on social media. So it's it's hard to put yourself out there on social media because even if you decide, you know what, I'm going to start writing some blogs uh, about UFOs and I'm going to share them on my Twitter, you're going to get tons of hate. It's sad. It's wrong. It yeah. shouldn't happen, but it does. And we all react in different ways. So in that way, I'm, I'm empathetic or sympathetic to Lou and him getting really upset about people um, you know, attacking him and a lot of Greenwald's people attack him. And, and like John and I talked about on the show, John had his camp and I had my camp and they were attacking each other. And, and John and I, you know, gotten at arguments over it and didn't talk for a while. And, you know, we never want to go back to that. We were buddies. We love each other. We've been doing this for decades so long, you know. Um, and so I'm glad that John and I uh, are now talking and we're buddies again. I never want that to end. And we just agree to disagree sometimes. So what you're saying is that you think that this should all be settled with a sock of manure. Yeah. At, at 20 paces. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting because you're people, good at reading behind the, between the lines. I, I know you. I know you that well. <laughs> um, it's interesting because you see, um, you know, you, you see all these people that come out that are doing that are progressing the narrative of UFOs. And certainly I can't think of anyone who, you know, mm -hmm. left such a crater as um, Lou Elizondo did with getting mm -hmm. out that the, the material, all the footage and everything mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and the work that he did. And then you will have people who it's like, okay, well, he's getting a little too much love. So we're yeah. going to find other areas and, and mm -hmm. we're going to attack him, attack him being human. Right. Which for me, I, I, it, a lot of those, those things just seem to me kind of petty in the big picture. And so if you're really going to discount someone, are you going to discount them a hundred percent? Are you going to say, no, 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 just for the mm -hmm. purposes of my own argument. And so I kind of feel like, um, you know, you've, you've been out in the, in the arena longer than I have. I've been kind of, you know, for several years, been able to, to play in the back uh, field with my films and everything. And, but I, I feel at, at the same time, you know, you look at it, you kind of go, I guess it just comes with the territory. And so to take any of this personal and to look at it as that's a reflection, um, you know, I, I, I feel as uh, you are, you're never going to win that. And you don't want to agree. I, I made the joke when you and um, you and, and, uh, and Martin, when I was there like one or two times ago on, on podcast UFO, I made the joke. I said, I don't trust anyone that has like a five on their podcast, you know, score. <laughs> I look for someone that's got somewhere between a 4.3 and a four point, yeah. you know, six, seven, that that's the range where it should sit. Yeah. Then, then, you know, not everyone is happy, but you're telling yeah. truth because truths are going to have 
enemies and friends. Yeah. That's just how it is. That's a really, I think that's a really, really great point. Um, and, uh, you know, we both have met and, and hung out with Elizondo and his humanness is, uh, I think, um, endearing, you know, um, in a way. It, certainly at, at times, even during those times that John and I were arguing, makes me feel like protective, to be honest, because, you know, when he first came out and got this and then his kids are being affected and seeing this terrible stuff on share, social media about him, you know, that's awful. You're like, look at what this guy has done for this field um, and people attacking him like this. It's, it's certainly not, I don't think something he expected and it's not deserved. Yeah. I, I watched uh, Mirage Men for the second or third time recently. I think it's always good to see it every once in a while, just to see how, um, you know, the, the other side of this and how, boy, when you really want to believe something <laughs> and you're into it, how um, you can give over so much of yourself. And mm -hmm. how you really have to, you know, I always joke, I have one foot in the rabbit hole, in the UFO mm -hmm. rabbit hole. I don't want to go full rabbit hole. That's right. a good idea. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. I mean, no, Paul I Benowitz and you. yeah, that whole. Yeah, and that's what's tough. And, you know, for, for a lot of people, and I think that's part of what happens too, for a lot of people, that's fine. They've got their day jobs that have nothing to do with this. They can go rabbit hole diving all they want and they can, you know, have all of these ideas but for those of us that are really literally professional ufologists um we have to be more careful we got to be having a thought towards moving the ball forward you know and and how that's done and we all take different ideas on how to do that john with foia you know lou um with working with these government agencies fortunate for him he he's got a background with those agencies and you know for scu for example tackling the science or with enigma labs tackling the data analysis uh um but um you know we all got to focus on that area, but all of us have our mind towards moving that ball forward. And all of us, you know, at times, every different area makes these strides that benefit all of us. So I think people need to be less uh, inclusive and, or exclusive and be more inclusive. You know, appreciate that uh, everyone's heart is in the right place place uh and they're moving the ball in the right place except for the charlatans and uh yeah. <laughs> you know and and support all of the different research even if you don't think that's going to be you know that's not your cup of tea and you're not going to pay attention you know watch every podcast in that arena that's fine but um also you don't have to be adversarial towards them you can support them and say you know go for it um i hope that brings you i hope the uh abduction research brings them you know and that field towards uh, some discoveries. It's not the arena that I work on or have time to work in, um, but I, I wish them the best, you know? That's where I, I, I've really been parking at the last um, four years is with the experiencers and going to um, support groups. And, and, um, and, you know, these are the frontline people, in, in my opinion. Again, if we're talking stage one, which is, you know, um, the witness evidence, but a lot of them have their own physical evidence on, you know, marks on their bodies, et cetera. Um, but it's also, I think someone, I think everyone needs to kind of remember that no one makes money researching UFOs. <laughs> it I doesn't know. happen unless you're tied in with an organization that is actively going out there and has to pull together funding and grants, et cetera. Yeah. It's not like a job that you get out of college and you go, oh, I'll go to this <laughs> yeah. firm 
right? And so mm-hmm. I always say, you know, these are people that have to go through like no, the, the same thing that nonprofits go through in order mm-hmm. to, to really get in and, and advance this. And so you've done both. You've done it where it's been this hobby thing, and then you've done it where you've turned it into this profession. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my question is, you know, how, how has that worked and has it changed you in any way since you first got interested in this field? Yeah. You know, when it was grassroots, I was very nice and I loved everyone. But when I work for the <laughs> corporate world, I'm figuring out how I could take advantage and exploit every other person. That's good. That's good. Just kidding. A, oh, oh, you're I'm no. Like, okay. <laughs> you're like, yeah, no, okay. um, we're being silly again. But um, has it changed me? No. You know, I am I've been extremely fortunate in that, you know, the last company I worked for was put together by John Rayo, um, just some guy who decided to spend a lot of money to figure out what's going on with this field. Did we figure out what's going on? No. But I think that we did provide a lot of great information, especially by taking a journalistic perspective. And, you know, we were able to make a lot of inroads with traditional and mainstream science. Um, I've got a website out where at least I've got a partial list of the different, um, um, you know, network television or, or news network uh, or news outlets that work with us. And, and it's a long list. You know, that's how Elizondo found out about us, is that we were covering this in an incredible manner or, or how I started to work with Brian Bender out of Politico. So uh, that was, you know, I, I think that was great. I have I, John was at the conference, actually. Uh, he's, uh, you know, I'll be forever grateful for him for that. Um, now I'm working for a company, uh, essentially a tech startup company. Um, and these are tech startup people, um, kind of from the tech arena. And they are, you know, figure, hey, we need to resolve this mystery. How do we do it? And they're working with, you know, all of the same big players in this field to say, what do you need? Um, And what we've all needed for a long time is a a large database where we can put all of our data together and then analyze that tools to analyze it and using machine learning and AI to do that analysis. Um, So that's what we're doing. And on in that, you know, uh, people can go to enigmalabs.io. That's our website. And we just literally just yesterday posted about three quarters of um, about 75 or so articles. Well, maybe about half of the uh, what I've been working on, which is um, getting a lot of great writers, freelance writers in this field to write kind of Wikipedia style, you know, um, articles or I would say on all of the different citing cases, uh, organizations and groups um, to write kind of neutral, comprehensive articles to educate all of these people that are getting involved on the history of this topic. And I think that's really extremely important um, so that, you know, all of these people coming in can have a place to go to to read up, okay, what has been done and by who. And so they can understand these people, their motivations, what they've gone through, and how many of these people are highly, highly credible, like Dr. Um, Hynek or Dr. Valet or, um, uh, you know, any of these other characters that um, have been doing great work over the years. So, um, so yeah, so I'm really excited about that. And, um, and to be honest, we've got this post, blog post called transparency for the data, privacy for the people, because 
we're very protective over our employees because people already know who I am, but uh, we don't want um, the Elizondo or the Bigelow effect to happen. You know, when these people come in and get demonized and attacked, um, you know, we don't want, um, so we're protective and most of them, you won't find out who they are unless I guess they decide to or down the road um, that happens. But uh, most of our staff are keeping their names anonymous in that um, and, and to protect them from this sort of thing. So, uh, but it's exciting. And I've always said this with SCU when people have complained, because some of our scientists at SCU for over the years have remained anonymous. And some people have said, oh, they should be out. And it's like, well, you know, what would you rather have their name or their expertise? I would rather have their expertise because with their expertise, we have chemists, we have, you know, anthropologists, we have um, uh, geologists, we have a lot more scientists involved. Um, if they can feel secure in that, it's not going to affect their careers. And uh, we, the taboo hasn't gone. So over the years, hopefully we can completely get rid of that taboo. And then people won't feel like they have to um, remain anonymous to work in this field. But I would ha rather have the people working in this field than not. So um, it's exciting. It's really exciting. I think we're making great strides. I hope people go look at the site and see what we're up to. Um, over the next few months, they're going to see more and more. And I think what we're going to be known for is uh, data analysis and providing tools to researchers, even citizen scientists, even the people listening to podcasts now, you're going to have tools, largely free tools at your fingertips to do more research than we've ever been able to do before. Um, so I'm really, really excited about it. Well, just speaking for myself, I can't do all the research that SCU is doing. And yeah. so I'm really grateful for them being out there and the work that you're doing with them. I, I, I'm kind of like, I, you know, if I can, you know, chip in and, and you know, donate, um, I will. Sure. And, and we'll so, and, and yeah, and we, we can talk about, um, we can tell them where they can go for that again. Um, but my feeling is these people are doing this. They're, they're doing, you know, the work out there that we'd like to see be done. I'm not going to particularly ask, you know, who exactly is doing that? Because some people, you know, some mad scientists like to work in their lab and not be known. And we have to kind of respect that process, right? As well. They're not mad. Yeah. Oh, they're not. They're just. We're not mad. <laughs> That's a joke from. Yes, from uh, Network. Young Frankenstein, I think. is. What oh, was it Young Frankenstein? I was thinking, the, sci we're not the mad scientist was always saying when he was <laughs> ever, he was called a mad scientist. <laughs> I'm not mad. <laughs> Um, so, uh, what is next for, uh, Alejandro as we, uh, wrap up here? What do you, yeah, what is next? I think people can go to, uh, like I said, enigmalabs.io to see what I'm up to and see the articles that I've, I've put together or had people put together. We've got a lot of freelancers. I don't want to use their names right now, just in case, uh, I don't think they would, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't <laughs> think you would want to, um, you know, we've allowed them. They can share their names if they want. So we'll see. I would leave that up to them. But some of the great people in the field and then some freelance writers, maybe you've never heard of, who are just excellent researchers and writers. So I think people will really enjoy those articles. Like any article, that's the thing that I found with Open Minds. The more neutral our article was, the more controversial it was. Because then both sides are like, that doesn't represent, you know, how real this is. And skeptics are like, that doesn't represent how fake this is. But that's kind of a fun thing because I think that uh, all of this will generate a lot of conversation 
um, back and forth and, and we'll see how that goes. Um, so we, I guess from our perspective, we will try to remain uh, neutral. And I think I have a pretty good thumb on, on neutrality in this field. So um, luckily I get to be the determiner for uh, that when it comes to these articles. And I think people agree. Uh, so go take a look. And then, of course, at explorescu.org, where the SCU is doing work, explorescu.org. We're doing lots of uh, cool stuff. We've got a lot of studies going on. But one of the really exciting things that we've been doing in the background is uh, networking and introducing people. So, um, you know, a lot of uh, a big deal was made about some of the people at our uh, conference, like uh, Space Force and some other uh, agencies were, were at our conference to kind of see what are these scientists up to. And the SCU, you'll have to remember, are uh, people who are scientists, who some of whom have worked on government projects, some of whom who worked on OSAP, you know, people like Eric Davis or Hal Putoff or, or other scientists who are part of our organization. So that's why it's a good place for them to go, because these are the people they either would have hired for these projects or have hired for these projects. So they get to come and network and see what we're up to. Um, I think, uh, you know, we're very proud of being able to network people together. And uh, our Nimitz paper has gotten a lot of attention. The Aguadilla case paper has gotten a lot of attention. And uh, we're continuing to write more papers and do more uh, analysis. Um, and in fact, at Enigma Labs, we're working closely with SCU. So we ho hope to have some joint projects coming out where, you know, we can provide some mach machine learning and have our computers uh, analyze cases, uh, you know, ingest uh, thousands and thousands of cases and then analyze them and then let scientists know, here's the data set of, of good cases that you want to pay attention to that we can do some correlations to figure out what's going on. And then that's when the scientists take over and some of the manual work has to start. And, uh, you know, we've got data scientists on our team that are working with SCU. So that's really fun because now I feel like, you know, in the background, we've already become part of that uh, scientific community that's working on UAP um, studies. And, uh, and so we're going to be able to, you know, customize our tools for those researchers so they can make even more discoveries more quickly um, and hopefully bigger discoveries in the future. And I really feel that we're going to be able to provide the tools to make um, some really uh, significant discoveries in the near future. Um, briefly, as we wrap up here, what, what you guys are doing with Enigma Labs is putting together a database. Um, Jacques Vallée's also got a database. I don't know mm -hmm. if his database, how readily available uh, that is, but also Enigma We're working Labs. with him. Okay, that's great. So, that, yeah. That answers that. Okay, because I was, mm -hmm. yeah, because then everyone's, you know, working from the same resource, the same, you know, yeah. hub, basically, network, where you can mm -hmm. do that. In addition to when the new cases come in, you can look at algorithms and go, well, this kind of fits this and also fits that. What can we learn? Exactly. And, you know, that's what we've done at the SCU. We've worked, we've been open and we work with everyone. And, uh, you know, that's what I've, I've brought to Enigma Labs as uh, the head of research and content is my number one goal is, you know, let's talk to the people who have been doing this for decades. Let's talk to the Jacques Vallées, the Mark Rodigers, the David Marlers, the Klaus, you know, in Sweden, you know, let's talk to all of these people, get their input, get their involvement and work together to um, 
you know, uh, all work in the same direction and work together on uh, all of this. And that's what we're doing. And so it's, it's really exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to do all of these people proud. I want to provide them with the sort of data and information they want in the manner they need it. And um, so that's what we're working hard to do. Great. Well, um, the one thing that, that I feel like I would love to see inserted into this, and I feel like you're really, really good at, is because uh, many a time I've come to you and I've said, hey, so I just heard this thing, blah, blah. And you go, yeah, I heard the same thing. So here's the problem with that. And I'm like, okay, ah. that's right. And so the <laughs> one thing that I always harken back to is I had a really great teacher um, who, who taught us um, truth is dynamic on many levels. Hmm. It's, it's never just that one thing. It, yeah. By its existence, there are other things that, that relates and other people take it in differently. It's, you yeah. know, colors people don't, you know, you've got color, someone's colorblind and, and sounds, et cetera. So we all kind of have to create a little space for that truth being dynamic. That's a, a great way. point, you know, because I talked about journalists, intelligence and scientists work with all the, with the data differently. But one key is that data need the better, the, the, the results are going to be better with pure data. And all of those arenas need to make sure to have a strong commitment to truth and facts and not a strong commitment to predisposed ideas about the topic. And, you know, the longer that I've been involved, the less I have hard set uh, opinions and ideas about what's going on because they serve no purpose except for me to get disappointed down the road when I find out I'm wrong, you know? So it's better just to purely follow, follow the data and purely stick to the facts and then put those together and see what they build. And the story that they build will be the truth and it'll be, you know, uh, science, I think, is a little better on this, but uh, it'll be, you know, our reality as it is, which is what we're trying to figure out. And um, and we got to have a little bit of faith. And and I think we can have that through experience that whatever the answer, uh, whatever the truth we put together, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be incredible. And we're going to um, all be enriched by that information, I think. I agree 100%. And that's a perfect note mm -hmm. to leave on. Alejandro, thank you so much. Say hi to Karen and um, continued success with, dude, so many things that uh, you're, you're working on. And, and I know that they're benefiting as much as you are. So look forward thank to seeing you. you next time in person. And um, thank you, everyone, for, uh, for tuning in. Uh, next week, again, we have John Burroughs, who will be here. And I will be um, uh, hosting with... Um, Martin, Martin hopefully will be back 100%. I'm expecting he will. And uh, again, thank you everyone for checking out the show and we will see you next week.